Like, I literally had to bet my life on God. <laughs> I had no other choice or I was going to die. Like, I literally knew that, that those were the only two options. Welcome to the Recovery Edge cast. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm sitting here with my good friends once again for our second round table. Let's go around the table and introduce ourselves, starting on my right. I'm Cody. I'm an alcoholic. I'm Kristen. I'm an alcoholic. My name's Jen. I'm an alcoholic. And we have a couple neat milestones today. Um, first, Cody, you got one year. Yeah. When, when did you get one year? Uh, August 24th. Congrats. Thanks. Jen? And I have six years today, September 29th. Woo! Congrats, you guys. <laughs> it's always such a big deal. I'm such an emo. You guys are so kick-ass. <laughs> so today, our topic, we're going to talk about step two. But before we get into all that, how about you guys tell us how you did it? Starting with one year, Cody. <laughs> Cody, I'll go like, ah, one year doesn't seem real in any way. It seemed like it went by really fast at some points and really slow at others. But overall, it was probably the fastest year of my life this far. Uh, the way I did it was going to meetings, both when I needed a meeting and when I didn't. Sometimes it's nice just to see the people who have been there for me and see how they're doing. And calling others in the program, sometimes for the same reason. Sometimes I want to complain and bitch about something that's going on, and they help me get through that. And sometimes I just haven't seen them in a couple of weeks, and it's nice to hear their voice, which is not something I ever thought I would say. You know, hearing a 40-something-year-old alcoholic's voice would bring me joy. <laughs> But Let's talk about <laughs> we know. <Alfred. laughs> it's because I look so young. I was like, talk about me. Just kidding. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, but doing those those basic things, calling somebody else, calling your sponsor, um, going through the steps was the biggest thing, and getting a higher power. Um, and for me, I know that my higher power wants me to be sober because he's the one that got me a sponsor who took me to the steps, who took me to him. And I've always kind of liked that progression of how that works. And that's true for my sobriety. So that's how I did it in a short version. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yay, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, you're next. So my name's Jen. I'm an alcoholic. And... Um, I'm a little overwhelmed. Um, so the short version, I think, would be uh, a tiny part of me wanted to live more than wanted to die. And for some reason, I accepted help that I didn't want to accept. You know what I mean? So I think God was working, always is working in my life. Um, I went to treatment and... Basically, the main things I got out of that were a big book and the advice that I needed God and I needed to go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous the day I got out of treatment. And I did that. I came down the mountain and went to my first AA meeting. And I went to one or more meetings every day thereafter. And I'm still a regular meeting attender. But I think the main thing is that... Um, So much of, I don't know, so much of getting and staying sober is being willing, being open-minded, and being honest. And despite myself, I was all of those things. You know, I'm, I think asking for help is the hardest thing I ever have to do, and that's still true today. So um, I took the help that was offered. I met an incredible woman at the Happy Treasures meeting who took me through the steps and has done that many times, and I work with others. And I try to live in 10, 11, and 12. Congratulations. I'm one of those others, by the way. 
just didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations to you both. It's awesome. And it's an honor to have you guys here to share all of that with uh, with me and you and all of it. It's just an honor to <laughs> <laughs> It's just great. Um, it's a real pleasure. And I've, I've got to watch. Jeez, I've got to watch you guys grow so much, you know. Um, I mean, even if you're ahead of me, you know. <laughs> I've still seen it. I've still seen it. So, all right. So today, I thought we would continue to the next step. Because last time we talked about step one. So today, step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Hmm. So what does that mean? To, what does that step mean to you guys? Um, like for me, there was a lot of fear there. First of all, being seeing that I was insane was kind of scary, and that my behaviors eventually led me to this insane life doing things that were not normal you know odd behaviors and just a nightmare and then having to believe in a power greater than myself i'm just like at that point like this is cult churchy or something you know <laughs> like that was my first thought like okay i could get whatever you know i get it it's a god thing okay so how if, if those two things were hurdles for you guys or maybe they weren't but I'm interested into I'm interested as to what your thought process was when you looked at step two for that first time, and how did you overcome the challenges that came with it, whether it was fear or just, um, I guess it would have to be fear or maybe it was anger. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of mixed emotions that comes with the thought of a higher power. You know, having to think about that type of uh, theologian topic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, Kristen, you want to start? Sure. Um, I'm Kristen. I'm alcoholic. <clears throat> so when I think of step two, it says came to believe, right? And so came technically is like past tense. Um. And so being able to look back at things now, um, my coming to believe was more complex than just what it sounds like, I guess. Uh, I don't know how much sense that really makes, but um, it's like an ongoing thing, though. <laughs> like, as time goes on, I'm still coming to believe, you know, so like... A wise woman always tells me that more will be revealed. Um, that's turning out to be true. Like it used to be just a cute saying. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> that sounds so nice. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. But then, you know, um, things seem to turn, turn out somehow. And so for me... Uh, I always believe that there there was something out there. You know, I'm I'm not the creator of everything, you know, and I'm one of those very introspective people that you know, wonder about the nature of reality and the nature of God and really all the things that there's not probably in this lifetime not concrete answers to. And um even that in and of itself is like a thing that me and God have like we're not I'm not supposed to know yet apparently. <laughs> Um, I think he knows that makes me nuts, but um, I don't think he cares. Like, my life belongs to him now. It's not mine anymore, um, which is fine with me because uh, me living on self-will and trying to play God's role <laughs> turned out so bad. Like, it's not even, I can't even find a word in the English language that could describe how bad it got like I I almost feel like it just wore at me and wore at me and wore at me until I was like literally I feel like a dead person walking around and I see them everywhere now and I'm like I remember you know <laughs> when Jen has said a few times in the past but by the grace of God there go I and um that is true for me 
that's true for me. So, um, yeah, I guess that's all I, I have at this moment in time. Did that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. What do you think, Jen? <coughs> I was giving Cody the eye to jump in there. Um, I uh, she'll do that. Uh, <laughs> I can't see it. God, <laughs> um, as Kristen was talking and as you were introducing it, I was just thinking that <coughs> my drinking was the great persuader, right? Because you know, probably the time I was fifteen or sixteen. I totally rebelled against the religion I was raised in, mostly, I think, to hurt my mom, you know, and to prove that I was better than her because I was such a little asshole and really adopted that sort of, like, rugged individualist, the individual is all, people who believe in God are weak, you know, like, and I, I lived that way until alcohol crushed me, right? And so, you know, I mean, even... Before I went to treatment, I was five or six days sober before I went to treatment. Like that first full day that I was sober, and I knew I didn't want to drink because, like, trouble was coming. Um, And I wanted to prove that I had a handle on things, but I knew if I drank, I would screw all that up. And I found myself walking around City Park Lake saying the Hail Mary because it was just, like, the only prayer that really stuck with me that I hadn't prayed forever, right? I'm like less than 36 hours sober going, Hail Mary, full of grace, Hail Mary, full of grace, like reaching for God and not knowing that reaching for God is the answer to alcoholism, right? Um, And so when I got to rehab and they said, your only hope is a higher power and working these steps, by then my resistance was so gone because I'd already suffered the humiliation of having my entire family, all my neighbors, all my friends, and my employer encouraged me to go to treatment. Like, you know, like I was exposed as the falling down hopeless alcoholic that I was. And so, like, there was no pride left in that moment to fight against the God idea. It was okay. But what I was really afraid of was that I would get out of treatment and forget that. And so it was really important to me early on and even to this day to, like, have on me a symbol of faith. Like, I would wear a cross all the time or whatever, something that was a symbol of of that commitment um, because I felt like I needed that physical representation to even stay willing to come to believe that the God idea would work. And I think, like Kristen has said, for me, the second step is like an ever-evolving and deepening process. You know, like I'm just accumulating more and more evidence over time that God restores me to sanity. And it sounds so simple, but it was like confusing for me in the beginning because now that I can remember my thought from before, um, you know, I had been to church before, you know, and I had looked for God in, um, in that way, you know, I think that even, you know, through my using and drinking was a really low form of looking for something to fill that, um, God-sized hole, for lack of a better term, um, that I, that I couldn't figure out what it was, but I just, I needed to fill it, you know, and so for a while I found that that worked, and drugs and alcohol, they, that is a power greater than myself, you know. So if um, I am coming to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity, that's a pretty big, <laughs> that, that is a pretty big pill to swallow, you know. Um, and I can see where, I don't know if it's people who are less stubborn than me or whatever, like everybody's bottom is different, but... Um, I mean, I hope that people don't have to go through the extent of the shit that I did um, to get to that point to where, like, I literally had to bet my life on God. (laughs) I had no other choice or I was going to die. Like, I literally knew that, that those were the only two options. And so 
I mean, as hard as it was, that was, I, I guess, like Jen said, you know, there was just a little tiny bit of me that lit, wanted to live um, more than I wanted to die. And I think that God used that moment to start changing me into the person I am now. <laughs> but it wasn't until I was fully ready and I had to get my ass kicked, like, I'm sorry, like, in every single possible way, and then some. Um, and, and I probably deserved it, you know, um, some of it, like. <laughs> uh, we put ourselves in a position to be hurt. Yep, we sure do, we sure do. Um, I just had a flash of the pants exchanging with the bartender at a public bar, randomly, in my head. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it right now. Don't look at me like that. If you that. could see my a face. Great men's story. I really want to hear It is an excellent <laughs> men's story. Yeah, that's for another time. That's for the ninth step. <laughs> yeah, that's for the ninth step. Okay, fair enough. Um, apparently that's on video somewhere. I don't know if it still is, but I don't want to find out. Anyways, I, I, did I just say that publicly? Yeah, we're see, that's the Google result of the work. I don't give a shit That's anymore. how you have freedom. I don't care anymore. <laughs> It is. I can look the world in the eye and not have to be buried in that shame all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because I did my best, to the best of my ability, to do what I could within the steps with the guidance of another woman. And God did the rest and continues to do the rest <laughs> as long as I chop wood and carry water. Which is really hard sometimes. Sometimes I don't want to. I want everyone to leave me alone <laughs> and I just want everyone to leave me alone. Mm -hmm. So when I was suffering in my alcoholism, um, like when I was, I was one of those foxhole prayer guys. So I grew up in church and I believed in God. So I often used him to bail me out and be like, I'll never do this again. <laughs> I'll never do this again. And then at some point, it was just like, oh, you already know I'm going to do this again. I, I stopped. And, you know, I, I remember coming to AA, and, you know, after I asked God, like, God, just send me something, something to help me, because I can't live like this anymore. And when I got to AA, and all they had was God, and I was like, don't you got something else? <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought there was going to be, I don't know what I thought. Maybe there was a workbook or something. or something. I was okay formula, with God, but not foods. the 12 steps for some reason. Like, that's, I was always trying to find something else other than a 12-step program. I was like, oh, I'm not, is it a 12-step program? I'm not doing it. Contempt prior to investigation. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's funny how you were, you Christian, you reminded me about how I, realized that booze was filling this hole I thought that was made for God. And I was filling it with booze, and it worked temporarily, but the pain became too big anymore, and it wasn't worth it anymore. And um, my life was crumbling, and I realized that this stuff was really screwing me up. It was screwing me over. And it wasn't worth the payoff anymore. Like, um, that's not a real higher power. That's like a fake type of higher power thing, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, like it's I used an evil it. liar. I, it was fulfilling. And then it turned on me, and it, the price became too high for it to be worth it anymore. And I was dying, and that's when I reached out to God again. Um, you know, and my life did become insane because I remember thinking I'm either going to kill myself or I don't know what's going to happen like I just hate my life I hate I hate it and then I decided well I'm going to try AA before I kill myself you know like that's just where I had to get was it that calm and logical in your head no hell, hell no. <laughs> I was like I would go in tears I was could it hardly. A little insane. It was my life was totally insane. Like when you're looking outside your building off of a high story, you know, in Denver, and you're like, you know, if I jumped, at least there would be relief down there. You know, God. maybe. <laughs> I know. So I, you know, I start thinking about that stuff. Yeah. Like, maybe. Like, what if I 
didn't die, that would suck. But just having these maniac thoughts or realizing I didn't have a bottom because I thought, you know what, I've always moved the goalpost lower and lower or, you know, that goal line. And I just don't think I have a bottom in me. And I have like these awful thoughts like, what if I lost my arm or both of them? Would I still drink? Well, probably. In my heart, I was like. I've seen that. I've seen like people who are paralyzed in crack houses who have other people helping them get high. Like, you know, and it's really sad. Like even as a high person, that's disturbing to see, you know. Those thoughts, they weigh on you. And that really, like looking back now, I was like, that's insane. Just a piece of it. Just the mental part, you know. Um, what about you, Cody? What do you think? I'm just thinking it's kind of funny how uh, opposite, I guess, my story is to Kristen's and how we're in the same spot in very specific ways, like uh, very introspective, and you went with God, and I'm very introspective, and I went completely opposite. You know, and coming in, I was okay with the 12 steps, and I wasn't okay with God. (laughs) 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 I came in, and I was like, nope, I'm going to – I read – for hours and hours those first couple of weeks of like, how can I do this without doing that? Like, how can I do that without it? Because I just, I can remember being, I think I was 11 or 12 and I, I didn't really grow up with religion. I went with my grandparents cause they were Methodists and we'd go sometimes with them and we'd go to the Bible camp every summer for the week. And that was kind of cool to be around people. But I remember asking a question like the last year that I was in Bible camp of like, how can the big bang and God coexist? Like, how does that, it's one or the other. It has to be. And I always thought about it that way in black and white. And the leader, who's probably some 14-year-old kid who I think is an adult with all the answers, <laughs> is like, well, you know, it's kind of up to you to decide. And I was like, well, that sounds like a bunch of bullshit coming from the church. <laughs> and I went, for the, for the, from then on, it was like there, there was only ever science because at least science said I don't know when they didn't know. And religion just threw, well, it's God's will. And I was like, that doesn't, that does just, it's not an answer. You can't just blanket cover everything with that. And looking back on it, now I'm sitting here like, well, it's God's will, so whatever's going to happen, happens. But I came in and I, yeah, I went to, I tried to go to an agnostic group one time and it was closed. They weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, Sounds about yeah. right. And so, <laughs> of course it was. Why wouldn't it have been? <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> they went there. <laughs> uh, I started going home and I was like, well, that's it. I'm going to drink. I've been a week and a half sober. I'm done. Like, cool. I guess I'm not supposed to be in AA because I can't do it my way. And <laughs> I called a guy who'd give me his number. And then that night I got a sponsor. So if that isn't God's work of like, well, you're not going to go to this meeting. You're going to get a sponsor who's going to bring you back to me. Then I don't know what is. God um, is so cool. <laughs> isn't it? Yes. I love him. <laughs> He's hilarious. <laughs> um, but no, my fear with the God thing, a lot of it had to do with it meant that I couldn't decide my own life. And I didn't like that. You know, I didn't want to give up the control of how my work, you know, my actual work, like how my career was going to go or how, who I was going to marry and how that was going to go. And like, I wanted to control everything from the time of my birth to the time of my death. And even stuff that I couldn't even change anymore. I wanted to be able to change it because I was the end all be all. And having to give that up was probably the biggest thing for me coming from it. Um, But I had a lot of those same thoughts that Alfredo was talking about. And for me, it was always at least if something bad happened, if I jumped off the roof of a building and didn't die, at least then there would be a traumatic experience that would make sense to me why I feel the way I do. You know, if my, like I would fantasize from, even when I was a kid, I would just, cry in bed at night about if my entire family died because then it would make sense that I was so sad and was so empty. And then I never had any trauma in my entire life. See, I always wondered if people would be sad at my funerals. (laughs) (laughs) Right, like pull a a weekend at Bernie's home. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't be the only guy who's like fantasized about his funeral and like how people are going to be just bawling and going to be this parade no you're not that's what i'm saying and that's yeah? you know being okay, a kid wondering good. you know the same thing that cody oh. was saying at least there'd be a reason what about you know like adult? if i was dead would people care you know i don't know why we <laughs> think about that stuff you know i think one of the big reliefs of the last six months of my drinking was when i came down with 
my basically like rheumatoid arthritis because it was this like weird, hard to diagnose disease that caused me extraordinary pain. And it was like my perfect excuse to be even more game on, right? Like I could be like, I'm going to wild west drink bourbon to kill the pain kind of thing. Like I have an excuse that is finally justified, right? Like finally I have a outward reason that matches all of the dark on the inside. And uh, it's just, it's just so extraordinary that, that the idea of God, a higher power being the answer like, that was the one thing I hadn't tried, and it just makes me think of... I didn't like, think it was going to work. Well, and how powerful, to me, the chapter We Agnostics is, because, you know, to me, like, that's the second step chapter, right, where we, like, look at what's this deal about, and it was it was like it was written for me, you know, because I was such a smarty, smarty pants, looking down on my mom for her faith. and um, And instead, I see this beautifully written thing basically saying you know how'd your way work out for you dumbass and oh by the way isn't it possible and can't you consider the possibility and I think that helped you know open up even more I don't know cracks in my armor because it was because by the time I got to we agnostics I believed that the guys in the book were writing for a drunk like me you know what I mean like like they had credibility with me because they described my drinking and, you know, then they talked about how, like, we who have made this decision to live a spiritual life rather than die an alcoholic death, like, as soon as we made that decision, just that, like, I'm going to try the steal, things started to unfold. And so I guess that's just part of the coming to believe experience that I keep having. So what does we came to believe mean to you guys? Like, how do you explain that? Well, I feel like we're doing that right now. I mean, just having this discussion amongst ourselves. It's I, I think it's really fun to share um, God's stories just because they're funny and they're so cool, you know? Like, I don't know. Um, that in and of itself, for me, is it's all a process of coming to believe, you know? Like, mm-hmm. um, the search and pursuit of God, like, I'm still... Like, it's a God of my understanding, right? But I still don't understand it, but I understand enough that I can keep looking and he's not going to be mad at me. You know what I mean? So what evidence do you have that a higher power is working in your life? I'm sitting here today. I was going to say, I didn't drink. (laughs) That I'm not drunk. I'm not six feet under in the prison system. Yeah. That's just baseline obvious stuff, though, you know, like when you get into, you know, where I see him working in every single area of my life, you know, when it like I thought I was never going to have a job that was worth a damn because I would always get rejected because of like when people would run my background or whatever. Um, I have a lot of like stupid stuff on there, like theft charges and a lot of DUIs and so I was constantly being judged for my past, you know, and um, and that was hard. And I really, it was, <laughs> it was an act of God that got me past that to where I am today. I just had to do the chop wood, carry water. But I, that doesn't mean I wasn't in fear, like terror the whole time that I was going to be stuck in a life of, you know, mediocrity or whatever, you know. Um, I guess my thought ended there. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that I've been given, I mean, now I have evidence. Like today I have a growing, growing, growing mound of evidence from my own personal experiences and from the experiences of others that I've seen in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that, 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 God absolutely is the power that is between me and a drink and me and my, um, you know, self-destruction. And I think what's so radical and beautiful about 
the way the God idea is presented in Alcoholics Anonymous is that it's the God of my understanding. I don't need to define it. I don't need to describe it. It's just my understanding. And I think, you know, beyond the ultimate miracle, which is that not only am I not drunk today, but I don't think about drinking. I don't fight against the drinking idea. It simply doesn't occur to me. As the 10th step promises, that problem has been removed Mm -hmm. through no thought or effort of my own. God has taken that, right? And And it stays, I stay in that neutrality, you know, as long as I am spiritually fit. And for me, what keeps me spiritually fit, not like I'm taking my spiritual temperature or anything like that, but it's, you know, it's, it's continuing to seek God. It's continuing to grow. And sometimes the way I grow is I fuck up and I make mistakes that I have to clean up and that I'm given the opportunity to do. I'll tell you guys like a cool second step story for me is, um, when I was in rehab, my mom, who I adore, just an amazing woman and a woman of deep faith. And when it was revealed to her and my dad that I was going to kill myself because of my drinking, they moved mountains to get me into treatment. And part of the way my mom moves mountains is through prayer. And she sent out to her entire Christmas card list, everyone she knows on the entire planet, my daughter Jen is an alcoholic and she's in rehab. Please pray for her. (laughs) My mom did that too. You know, mine was jail. In your first thirty days of sobriety, <laughs> you are the paragon of serenity and peace and love. <laughs> so of course, I was super angry and super ashamed, right? Um, and and you know, I was really really angry because you know it's so private and blah blah blah. Meanwhile, we do a guided meditation thing, and then we're supposed to draw a picture after it. And it was a second step meditation, and I drew this picture of probably me like going like, I give up, God, I'm on my knees, you're a big glowing ball, I'm surrendering. And not a week later, I get in the mail from a woman I've never met who lives in Dubuque, Iowa, who's a friend of a friend of my dad's, of a Catholic medallion of a saint, like the patron saint of alcoholics or hopeless cases, and that medallion is making the same gesture that I drew in that picture. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was like this... God is real kind of moment. Um, That's what's so cool about him is he makes it like personal for his people. Like, I guess what he does, you know, when he makes it real obvious, it's like, oh my God, I totally saw that. And, and, you know, like we, I think, I think at least, I think we all have those moments where for whatever reason we've been receptive to, to that, connection that's getting our attention right that's saying go in this direction go in this direction go in this direction and um it's just crazy how how radically that you know just that simple act of okay maybe tried everything else maybe this god idea will work i think a lot of evidence for me is when i think back that I never, well, I really haven't got what I deserved. Right. Just thinking back at all the choices I made, and I'm just like, wow. I should be dead or in jail. There's just, it's crazy. I think that living by your conscience, or for me, you know, I live by my conscience now, kind of what you were talking about, where it's like I don't have to fight doing the right thing anymore because it it's it's usually the easiest <laughs> it's usually the easiest thing even if it doesn't work out for me well you know the easiest thing that I can do is the right thing and I think that's been the biggest thing that's come from my higher power is just that being receptive to well this doesn't take any effort on my part and maybe the circumstances don't line up for what I want but what I need I already have Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about it. And obviously, like the restoration to sanity first for us, it, it was, you know, we're not that we are sitting here sober men and women today and that we're not obsessing about a drink. But I think it's also part of that restoration is having a capacity to be honest. I mean, I used to lie about everything. Like every word that came out of my mouth was a lie. Everything. 
Totally. I mean, even when there's no, like, what did you buy at the grocery store? I'd freaking lie about that. Yeah. You know, just stupid shit. But to, like, be able to live in integrity and be honest and admit mistakes and try to clean them up. And, and I do it really imperfectly, but God's grace is so big that, you know, um, you can even make me look graceful sometimes. <laughs> me too. Even though maybe inside I still feel like I'm a giant elephant in a China shop. Yeah. Um, Clutz dropping every, you know, like very ungraceful. What are some examples of, I guess, sanity now? Sanity. Yeah. Of some, you know. I can trust that what I'm seeing and hearing is probably really happening. <laughs> That's a great example. Yeah, there's <laughs> that. Sanity. Okay, so. <laughs> I but mean, true, though. Yeah, no, really, though, for me, I'm. I mean, still, sometimes I look back and I still don't know if some of the stuff I saw or experienced was real or not. Um, my dad says probably not, but I still don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I think in general, you know, um, part of that restoration to sanity is a clearer understanding that the world actually isn't out to get me and that the world doesn't wake up in the morning thinking about how they can screw over Jen. And the obsession is gone. The obsession is gone. Um, And like being able to see where my influence ends. You know what I mean? Like I can, I can ask God to help me bring my best self to the table Um, and I can try to do that. Sometimes it might not be good enough. Um, you know, like the, the outcome pieces, like, you know, that, that I can't make other people do live differently. You know what I mean? Like the willingness is the one thing we can't give away. Like that's always been important to me to see. And that's not how I used to live. Like I used to live wanting to manipulate and control because I thought I knew all the all the angles and all the outcomes. And now I have the freedom of knowing that not only is that mostly none of my business, but God has that, not me. So, Cody, um, what did you have to change in your thinking for sanity to return into your life? And then, of course, tell us what um, sane things are like now <laughs> like you know what i mean yeah what saying like, what are you doing like now, now? Yeah. Uh, yeah what are you doing now that's saying um <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what was the first part that you asked what did you have to change oh, in your yes. thinking to get that um restoration to sanity uh almost everything i would say is probably a good sum up of it uh my perspective it's probably the only thing when I when I really think about it, the only thing in my life that has changed is how I think and view things. You know, I'm still driving the same truck. Um, I live in a different place, but that's because I moved in with my girlfriend, which is not a thing that I ever thought would be possible because of, of who I was. You know, I wanted to be alone. I wanted to be miserable. I wanted to be sad. And that's not indicative of a good relationship. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I still have the same job um, on paper nothing has changed except for how I view things. And it's so much better now. You know, I was thinking about it on the way over to drive down here and it just like traffic doesn't bother me because what's the point of it bothering me? I can't change that other people have to go places. You're an inspiration to all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) But just like, it's just, it makes me, laugh at myself for how how much I just couldn't handle of the real world. I just couldn't deal with the fact that I have to do the dishes, which I do now. I do the dishes and I enjoy them and it's it gives me a moment of of calmness. Um you know there's a pan that my girlfriend always leaves on the oven, like on the stove. And I come home after work and I clean that dish and it's like the day just restarted for me. Because it just let me have a minute to myself mm-hmm. and it it is crazy to me because that's what keeps me sane. Like those little things, just doing those little things and letting the things go that I can't change 
You know, when I came in and everybody started saying the serenity prayer, I was like, I don't understand this shit. Like, I've heard it a million times. And it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, accept the thing that you should be able to change everything. And just now understanding what it really means and being able to do that and practice that acceptance um, is, is how I stay sane. Yeah. I would not say that I, I'm fully sane all the time. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just by the nature of being an alcoholic, you know. Um, True. Sometimes. We are not fixed. Yes, we're not. (laughs) And that's okay. Well, it's progress rather than perfection. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess, you know, when Cody was talking about, like, doing dishes and you were talking, it just reminded me, like, I remember, like, thinking, why the fuck do I have to make coffee, you know, or set up chairs? Oh, yeah, me too. And I'm, like, doing these things that are just, like, boring, and I'm like, this is AA, you know. Right. <laughs> and then after a while, it's there's something to it, you know. Like there's some, there's like, like God's in the cups, like yeah. God's in the plates, you know. Like there's just some something to working. I think it's doing something for other people. It's a start. Right. So when you when my will aligns with God's, it seems like. Life just goes a lot more smoothly, and there's, like, no effort. It's effortless, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's a really small start, I think. For me, it was. But now, looking back, I can see that it was, like, the jump start or the beginning of a template to larger work mm-hmm. in, in my life or AA or whatever God wants for me. It had to start with making coffee, yep. setting up chairs, and taking orders from yeah. people. Or, I mean, suggestions, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Doing what other people are telling me to do. Because my way sucked. <laughs> Mine too. And, you know, um, this may come as a serious shock, but, you know, I have an out-of-control gigantic ego. And so, <laughs> right, so... You know, some of those, you know, um, they're very humble requests that are made of us, you know, in a room of AA, right? It's show up, you know, if the coffee is empty, make the coffee, um, you know, kind of take care of the meeting and that kind of housekeeping. And I think the other thing that was really impressed on me that is also a part of the coming to believe is seeing how AAs take care of each other, whether that's one of our members is in the hospital. So like, we're going to go visit this dude in the hospital, you know, or um, so-and-so's needs a meeting brought in or whatever. But like, those were examples of, of real people, people I admired who were taking care of other people. And, you know, I'm such a selfish person like that. It's like, okay, if they do that, I'll do it. I want to be like them. And, you know, like, that's just another way of God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, demonstrating how to, how to, how to live and show up for other people. Sometimes it hurts, though, when God does for you what you can't do for yourself. That's been mm-hmm. part of my experience. But that's all stuff that I, you know, had to go through in order to get raw, I guess, so that um, I could be reshaped and reformed. Because for me, I can't change my my thoughts and my thought process. I don't have the ability to do that. I can try. Like, I can step out of my mind and observe my thinking patterns. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be able to change them. Like, I have to work, you know, with higher power, whatever you want to call it. I call him God. That's my personal preference. Um, You know, because I can't do it. I can't. I mean, I guess that's one of the blessings of really um, just fucking everything all the way up (laughs) in every way, in every area of my life that you're just like, okay, fine, fine. I like how Adam T., um, who's a guy I listen to on YouTube, describes it kind of as like... You know, when a soldier lays down the weapon 
and surrenders, you know, he's going to put it down slowly and back off. You know, he's not going to throw it down and have an attitude about it, you know, like it is in the beginning. (laughs) And I had that that attitude for a while, you know, and God had to somehow work that out of me. Hmm. And uh, yeah, it's not always fun. But I think that's grace, right? And, and, and who knows, you know, and I don't know. I don't think anyone does this perfectly. And certainly, you know, I do stuff that I am not proud of and that is not, you know, that is still selfish and self-centered. And, you know, if I indulge that long enough, I absolutely will get drunk. I know that, right? I know that that's there. But, you know, I, d- I learn through pain and most of my pain is self-inflicted. Um, and I just am given the grace always to be able to turn to that power. And sometimes the most powerful prayer can just be like, help, Help. I've done it again. (laughs) You know, how do I make, how do I, you know, guide me because I've, I've blown up my life again, sober, you know? I think one of the greatest things is the recognition of that, you know, being able to recognize like, oh, I really screwed the pooch on this one mm-hmm. and it's me you know whereas before it was always somebody else yes it was all it was never my fault even if it was my actions mm-hmm. you know you caused me to be pissed right. so then i had to say something <laughs> or i had to do something <laughs> i had to drink this poison so I, you might die <laughs> and so recognizing that that yeah it is it is a problem of our own making and we're the only ones who can Stop That's the good it. news. That's the good it news. It is. That's good news. You know, Bad news is you still do it, but the good news uh, is you you see it at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate the word advice in this program. You know, <clears throat> you're not supposed to give it. But what would you tell somebody who came to you and they're struggling with step two? Because you guys are probably in their shoes, and somebody maybe gave you advice or gave you recommendation of some sort anyways what would you tell somebody who's struggling with step two like how do you get over that hurdle i i tell them the same thing you told me that's a good answer ego on this guy <laughs> <laughs> points, yeah. points, but I'm just kidding. i have gold stars in my desk we can get them for you <laughs> no, I, would, I would tell them the same thing of just make one of your own as you know as the book says uh, a higher power of your own understanding. You can, that was a big thing for me is I didn't want a religious God. I didn't want a God that was tied to any religion because that's where my issues ended up lying was with religion and with man speaking for God. And so just by coming up with my own ideals of him, you know, when I told, told you about him, you were like, well, it sounds like you want to be more like that. And so I guess that's probably the best advice is, is come up with a higher power of what you want to, be because then that knocks you down and it gives you a goal to to get to mm-hmm. uh, not to get to but to strive for yeah it's at least a starting point for sure um, I would just say start looking like even if you don't believe just I mean say something basic and simple and just be like if you're out there show me and then start looking and see what happens. That's really cool. Um, I think that, you know, if I was talking to a person who was really new, who maybe hadn't, you know, who's maybe just beginning to work the steps for the first time, that to me the idea of the second step isn't, that that the second step is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Not, I totally 100% believe that this is God and here are all the qualities of that higher power, blah, 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 right? Like, um, I think so often it can be attractive to try to answer all the big questions of theology and spirituality in your second step. But really, truly what it's about is, hey, would you consider the possibility that you can't do this on your own, that um, you need something bigger than you uh, that you don't have to define today, and are you willing 
to take a look at the third step. You know what I mean? Like to me, for someone who's who's new, it's about like, I want to get you to inventory. Like I want to get you in the steps because I don't want you to suffer, right? Like let's get into the work. If it's somebody with who's been around a little bit longer, you know, then it's, what's your 11th step look like? You know what I mean? It's like we can choose to fight any of this, but in reality, I think the truth is what Kristen said, and that was the assignment I was given just a couple months ago at my second step was, you know, take a week and every day, at the end of the day, write down the ways in which God worked in your life. And I did that every day, and it was really cool and unexpected, you know? Um, My pillow guy. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw it in there. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, but as Kristen always says, like, God is so cool that, um, that, that this is big and roomy, right? Like, go ahead, define all you want, do whatever you want, you know, have that kind of intellectual exercise, but I'm not going to let you indulge in that if I'm taking you through the steps because I want you to do your inventory. (laughs) So, you know, I guess that's my take. Yeah. I guess it depends on the person you're working with. I don't know. That's just it. Yeah. You'll you'll enjoy it. More will be revealed. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all. Thank that was you guys awesome. Yeah, so much. What yeah, a special way to turn six. Thank you, Kristen, Jen, and Cody for doing another awesome roundtable. And thank you listeners for checking us out. This wraps up episode 13 of the Recovery Edge cast. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you want to get your podcast from, including Amazon Music, or you can visit recoveryedgecast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.